Hello, and welcome to Disney Rewind, a Disney nostalgia podcast served with a glass of wine. We are your hosts, Adina Miller. And Rachel Seedman. And in each episode, we break down a piece of Disney media and pair it perfectly with a glass of wine. Cheers. Hello. Hello, Adina. How are you doing today? Fabulous. How are you? I, too, am fabulous. And let me tell you why. Oh. Well, other than us recording today, but I have other reasons. <laughs> um, I just want to say that today I was looking at our podcast stats because I'm very big into numbers, whatever. Um, and we have been listened to in six different states. Okay. So shout out to all six different states who are being represented, but also we are being re- listened to in four different countries, the United what? States, Bolivia, Netherlands, and we just got somebody in Germany who listened as well. So I just want to give like a shout out for all of our listeners, because this is really awesome to just see all of the states pop up, all of the different countries pop up. So if you're listening to one episode, if you listen to them all, thank you for listening to our episodes. It is It warmed my heart to see four countries represented and six specific states in the United States. That is so cool. Um, We are so appreciative of you guys listening and liking and following us. We just hit a hundred followers on Instagram this week, which is super exciting. Um, And we really want to hear from you guys. And we want to know what you like about the podcast, any suggestions that you have, any feedback, like we want to hear from you guys. So again, like, Write to us on Instagram or email us, DisneyRewind at gmail.com. Like, we want to hear from you. We we love you guys. Yeah, as fun as it is for the two of us to just talk to each other, we love all of our listeners. Again, it was just you guys, to see that many different listeners across the world at this point, it really warms our hearts. So if you want to just say hello, if you want to just drop some love, or if you say, hey, I really like this wine. Is there a movie that goes with it? Maybe we can find a movie that goes with that wine. So let us know. We we love all of you and appreciate you listening to us week after week. Aww. That was a nice way to start <laughs> recording. Wasn't it, though? So I just, yeah, I had to share. It just, like, warmed my heart today, and I couldn't wait to tell you. Um, so our movie this week was my pick. And we are going to be talking about The Fox and the Hound, which came out on July 10th. 1981. Now, Adina, you always pull Disney Plus summaries for your movies, and they always are really good. When I try to pull a Disney Plus summary for my movie, I think they're always really poop. So I have... (laughs) (laughs) So I have pulled the Disney Plus summary, but I have also written my own summary as well. I love your summaries. Like, Thank you. No, I think they're great. Thank you. Again, Disney Plus, feel free I can work remotely. I'm already doing that. So you might as well hit me up. I'm happy to write some summaries for you. Uh, So the Disney Plus summary of The Fox and the Hound is a little fox and a hound pup become unlikely friends. That's it. That's all they give you. What? That's setting you up for failure. If that's all they're going to give you. That's awful. That's all you get. That's setting you up for disappointment right there. (laughs) Oh, it most certainly is. So I... I, I mean, I don't, I, if they want it to be a one sentence synopsis, I, I wrote it as two. So here is Rachel Seedman's summary of The Fox and the Hound. 
When a young fox, Todd, meets a hound pup, Copper, they become fast friends until life had other plans. As it is put to the test, they learn how far their friendship can go. Much better. Much better. I slot that into Disney Plus. Just let me erase what's currently there and slap that bad boy on because again, it gives you a lot more without telling you anything. It doesn't right. like right. share too much. No spoilers in this, but like you need to know that there's gonna be some conflict in this movie. Cause if you don't know that by reading the Disney Plus summary, oh man, are you going to be sorely, sorely disappointed oh man well you know since disney plus synopses let you down uh, mm-hmm. i'm gonna tell you of the journey i went on that unfortunately let me down while trying to pick a wine for this movie please do all right so rachel i am not joking i spent hours hours on the internet looking for a wine oh my god i found many but none of which would get here in time for recording. I'll, I'll tell you a few other wines that I, I thought would have been good. Um, there's a red wine made by Devonvale Vineyards in the Stellenbosch region of South Africa, which I have been to and been wine tasting there. It is lovely. The wine is called Friends Forever. Uh, but they don't import. Mm-mm. So then I'm Googling dog and fox. Dog and fox on wine. Fox wine label, dog wine label, wine made by friends, wine label made by friends, wine with friends on the label. Guys. Oh no. Oh no. It was a challenge. And then uh, there were actually quite a few wines that had like fox in the name, like Fox Creek and three foxes. Um, But those were all in New York and would have taken like three weeks to get here. So I abandoned my quest because we only had a few days before recording and I had to pick a wine that both of us could get. So I ended my journey and landed on what we are drinking tonight, the bread and butter Cabernet Sauvignon. Now, I picked this wine for a few reasons. Number one, Cabernet is my favorite red varietal. I feel like it's just like homey and comforting and honestly, like it goes with everything. So I thought it would be like a nice cozy, maybe not the right word to pick, but like something along those lines, Um, Mm -hmm. like a homey wine for us to drink while discussing this movie, because, Mm -hmm. you know, it takes place in the forest. It's like kind of like cozy, homey, but I'm just, we'll see how many more times I use those words. Um, Number two, Todd is my favorite character. In this movie, hands down. And he is a red fox. Mm -hmm. So, red wine. Obviously. Um, And finally, I could have gone with a million other cabs, but I picked the bread and butter because one might call that a perfect pairing. Bread and butter. They are the best of friends. And this movie is all about friendship. So, hence, the bread and butter. Yeah, I... When I when you sent me what we were getting, I was like, okay, I know no other reason except on its own if Adina just said because of the name bread and butter, <laughs> I'm in. That's fine. You could just get bread and butter wine all day long because you know what? You're right. They go together like bread and butter. Uh, uh, uh. I mean, and hey, you know what? Sometimes bread and butter have problems. Like sometimes the bread is, is – uh, 
it's too soft or the butter is too cold. So they have issues. I'm stretching here. Rachel <laughs> is cracking up. Stretch. <laughs> That's a big stretch. So anyway, uh, before... <laughs> Before we get any more ridiculousness, let's taste this wine. Rachel, cheers. Cheers. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh, that's pretty solid. That's good. That is a good, like, if you're, like, going to somebody's house and you want to bring them a wine, this would be a really good wine for that because this is, this is really nice. This is very very nice. I'm, like, looking at the back of the bottle right now. Yeah. So I'm going to read you. I'll read the back of the bottle. Yeah. Which doesn't have a ton. And then I'm going to read you what I read on the website. Please. So classic California Cabernet Sauvignon with hints of rich vanilla, toasted oak and mocha. Perfect when enjoyed with good food and company, which is lovely. The website had a little bit longer of a description, which I enjoyed. And I, um, I'm going to share with you now. Okay. Please. A ripe and robust Cabernet Sauvignon that charms with layers of mocha, fresh berries, black currant, and subtle black pepper, toasted oak, and rich vanilla. That's a lot of flavors. That's a lot. Round and luscious with a hint of spice, soft tannins weave into a smooth and lingering finish. Good together with the people and places you love. Also goes well with grilled ribeye, mushroom pizza, and the satisfying smack of a well-deserved high five. <laughs> so, Rachel, I very vividly remember us sharing a mushroom pizza and a wine carafe at Naples Pizzeria, Pizzeria in downtown Disney. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I could see us, like, having this wine with a mushroom pizza at downtown Disney wearing our matching outfits. Oh. And hopefully that can happen someday soon. So soon, but also can the pizza have um, some vegan cheese on it because I can't do dairy anymore and it makes me so sad. So can we just do all of that, but with vegan cheese? Uh, Either vegan cheese or I will bring you a ton of lactate. (laughs) (laughs) It's not for my stomach. It's for my skin. How about a goat goat cheese pizza with this Oh, I can do that. I can 100% do that. So with that, thank you. Cheers. Cheers to our future plans. Cheers to that. I do have a bit more to say about the wine because we do tout this podcast as about being Disney and wine. So I feel like we should talk more about wine. Certainly. So this winery is located in Napa, California, obviously a huge wine region. And Cabernet Sauvignon is a very popular varietal. So I did a little bit of a deep dive on Napa cabs and what specifically makes Napa Valley the ideal place for a Cabernet Sauvignon. Oh, interesting. So uh, Cabernet Sauvignon vines are best suited for a sunny, warm, and not too hot climate so that the grapes can ripen slowly. Uh, While many places in California are quite hot, we know this, I know this, (laughs) living in the San Fernando Valley, Napa Valley's location on the San Pablo Bay causes an induction effect at night that delivers the morning cloud cover. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found that super interesting and, you know, not a lot of places in California get that. And the other thing that makes it great is the soil. Um, so there are many different soil types that are suited for Cabernet Sauvignon, but ultimately what is important is good drainage and not too much soil fertility, which I thought was super interesting. So low fertility puts the vines in a state of stress earlier in the growing season, which shifts the vines focus from growing leaves to ripening grapes. 
Um, So I thought that that was just super interesting. A little bit of a sciencey deep dive into viticulture. And um, like, I don't know, we can continue to do this. We don't have to. But I just I thought it was interesting because I've had many Napa calves and now I know why. Yeah, that's actually I like that. I think we should bring as a very sciencey person myself. Um, I think we should definitely bring some. <laughs> <laughs> Gina just right. moved her glasses I up. My glasses up with my index finger. <laughs> anyway, I am I'm not a sciencey person. Rachel yeah. definitely is. <laughs> I like science, so I'm I know. All about I know this. you do, and I, I am not. Okay. You like okay. the data. You like. Like I do. Mm-hmm. We are each suited for half of the podcast. <laughs> I was about to say it's more like we are the perfect pair. I wasn't gonna do that, oh. but you. Did. I think I have it written down like three more times. So great, it'll keep I, happening. Great, fantastic. So those are my fun facts about Napa cabs, and um, Rachel. I know that you did a lot of research on this movie. I did as well. Mm-hmm. So since you picked the movie, why don't you kick us off here? I would love to. I also, before we get kind of off of the wine for a little bit, just for anybody who's listening, who's thinking to themselves, oh God, they're doing another red. Rachel's going to spill again. I understand your concern. A hundred percent. I'd like you all to know that the stain on my carpet from the glue vine last week is completely gone. I would like to say I'm an expert stain remover. No more stain at all on my carpet. So don't you fret if you are worried about Rachel drinking another red wine on her carpet. I'm so happy and proud of you. (laughs) I just had to share that. It's completely gone. You would not know that there was ever wine spilled on this floor. Nice. Well done. I have secrets. Um, Okay, so getting into the movie. Uh, So I chose The Fox and the Hound for a couple of different reasons. The first of which is I remember remember watching this movie. I remember like this being a big movie in my childhood because we grew up with beagles. And so we had hound puppies and we had hounds. And like the, the hound aspect of this movie really was cemented in my brain. And I'm going to say that's as much that was cemented in my brain as I will talk about. However, so just kind of getting into my facts and just what's going on here. So The Fox and the Hound, it even says in the opening credits that this is based on a book from uh, by the of the same name, The Fox and the Hound by Daniel P. Mannix from the year 1967. And there's a lot of changes from the book, The Fox and the Hound to the this Disney movie, which is kind of insane that they were able to take this book and turn it into the movie that it is with the changes that have happened. Most notably, the easiest one, the least traumatizing of all of the changes is the older dog's name is Copper and the puppy's name is Chief in the actual book itself. Oh. They've, they've switched the names. So I don't know why they then switched it for the Disney movie. Interesting. Maybe Copper is cuter. Copper is such a cute name like, for a dog. Is such an old dog name. Like it is. That yeah. that's probably the reasoning. But yeah, that, that and again, I I really emphasize what I say earlier. That's the least traumatizing of the changes that happen oh, yeah. because this oh, yeah. book this book is so traumatically brutal mm-hmm. that it like my yep. deep dive is about this story of the fox and the hound. And 
I will say, and I'll say it again, I openly wept watching this movie. I had to pause it. Ian and I were on the couch, both openly weeping. So we're going to see how far I get into this podcast. I have a feeling I will cry because even afterwards we were talking about it and I started crying. So we're going to see how far I get into this podcast without completely losing it. I was stone cold sober too. So we have wine in this mix. I'm going to lose it today. Oh gosh. I, I won't say I openly wept. There were moments where I teared up, but like it got, I'm, it gets very sad. And I'm a little annoyed with you for picking such a sad movie after our last really upsetting movie. I agree. I'm mad at myself. I, to be completely honest, I do not recall it being that sad because I just remember a little hound puppy and I'm like, oh, this is so cute. Really? Because I told someone that this was the movie we were doing after Pinocchio and I said, why another sad one? I did say at the end of Pinocchio, I prepared all y'all by saying, get your tissues ready. I just didn't take myself seriously when I said that. <laughs> just, that's, yeah. That's fair. So my two main, main things before I kind of talk about the differences, and I might talk about the differences between the book and the movie as we actually talk about it instead of lo- loading it all up front. So sure. I don't have a ton of secondary facts. I know you have some more, but that aren't related to the book, but the two things that I really want to call out. The first one is this movie is what pretty much allowed the Disney Renaissance that began in 1989 to occur. This movie is really a turning point for Disney animation. And it's this really cool mix. This, my favorite thing that I learned about this movie is one, it was the first animated movie done by Disney to use computers, but it also uses the scenery from Bambi they Mm -hmm. took all of the scenes the scenery the backgrounds the forest from Bambi and put that and put the fox and the hound on top of it so it's this really interesting meld of the old Disney and basically what Disney would soon become with the Disney uh, renaissance that was going to occur so a lot of the artists that we know and love that started this Disney renaissance This movie helped them get their start and helped push Disney animation to be what it became in 1989. And that is so cool. And you can just see it happening. This old style background with these new characters, new animation. It's so cool. Yeah. And just kind of like playing off of it. So these old Disney animators were called affectionately the nine old men. Mm -hmm. Uh, And these were the animators who had created the magic that we know alongside Walt Disney since 1923. Mm-hmm. And then this this was their last film and it paved the way for this the younger team to step in and create the classics that we know and love. The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, The Lion King, Pocahontas. So this movie, The Fox and the Hound really marks a change of direction at Disney like It is the last cartoon to entirely use the traditional analogical technique to animate. And really like from that moment, future productions used digital techniques such as photo transfer animation of the computer animation production system. And I think, you know, another thing very subtle that kind of marks this change is that Fox and the Hound is the last Disney film to start with these credits at the beginning. Yeah. And end with the classic, the end 
by Walt Disney Productions. Like this is, it's, it's truly the end of an era. And I, I don't think I realized that as we were going in that after this point, it's just like old Disney is kind of out, new Disney's in. I mean, there are a lot, there are some weird Disney movies in the 80s. I think it took them some time to get their stride. It did. Black Cauldron. But that's, um, hey, that's the next one that happened right after this. So yeah, it definitely, mm -hmm. this does completely mark that change. I'm so happy that you said that because it is this mix of the old and the new. And it's the only time that this mix truly happens is in this movie. And it makes it so special I mean, I again, I didn't realize that going into this movie, again, like that impact that this movie was going to have and what that was about to start, but also what that was about to end. I wonder if fans like were aware of this change at the time in the 80s, like big Disney fans who had seen the Walt Disney Company from the beginning. I mean, maybe not from the very beginning, but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> had grown yeah. up with the old with the nine old men and now it's like oh who are these new guys coming in yeah um so it's just it's interesting my i i only have like one other fact bef about the movie sure and then yeah. i did yet another deep dive i got real sciencey today so this was an interesting fact um an uncredited tim burton did the character animation for vixie the female fox which you're probably thinking Tim Burton, that's a pretty cartoony looking fox. Like that's not his style. So he he hated her when he first drew her, <laughs> but he grew to like her as he did her close up. But he's uncredited in the movie. And what is with it? Like people being uncredited in these Disney movies. I'm kind of annoyed about it. I thought that was crazy twofold. The fact that he's uncredited, like Tim freaking Burton is uncredited. You know, it's a young Tim Burton. Totally. But that also that's that that's what he created. And yeah, I can totally get why he did not like it. But in a way, as an artist, and I am by no means an artist, stretching yourselves and doing something that you don't like and that you really dislike is such a great way to grow and realize what am I good at? What do I like? Where can I find like who I am as an artist? So that's so cool that he had that opportunity to work Super on this cool. thing. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like if there was another character in this movie that would have made more sense for him to have animated and I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. I feel like maybe one of the birds like maybe. Boomer. They're like so silly though. Like that's they are silly. I don't know. Maybe the the crotchety badger. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> the badger. We'll get to mm. him later. <laughs> so before you get into your deep dive, the last thing that I wanted to say, and I don't know how much of this is truly intentional at all. Maybe it's not. Maybe it is. We'll talk about it, though. This is absolutely this movie and a bit of the book, though, since the book is so different, I can't speak to it as much, is 100% an allegory for racism in the South. This entire story oh, of yeah. Todd basically representing a black kid who is being raised and he meets a friend who is a white boy, Copper, and the two of them have this friendship and they have no reason to dislike each other at all. And through the story, if you look at this whole story as we talk about it as a lens of Todd is a black child in the South and Copper is the son of an race a racist white person in the south 
you see this completely play out in a heartbreaking way. And I'm yes. sure that added to my just weeping, literal pausing and losing it because it's just knowing that copper goes one way and copper changes his mind on certain things and that Todd goes a different path and they go down different paths in their life and how they come together at the very end and throughout the movie. We don't know where this takes place, but it absolutely seems like it's in like some West Virginia Appalachian sort of place. It is oh, for sure. Obviously some little like redneck Southie area. And this is truly, if you look at this as an allegory of racism in the South, it just becomes even more heartbreaking. Yes. I, I definitely noticed that it's very, it, it's quite apparent. I, I don't know if I noticed that as a kid watching this movie. I, definitely not. I think it's, it's nicely veiled as like, you can still be friends with someone who's different than you. Mm -hmm. But yes, it, it's very clearly an allegory for racism. And it's 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 upsetting. And I'd like to think that it's mostly gone in the country, but it's not. And that's even more upsetting. So in a way, though, it's good that movies like this do exist because it calls it out and it almost teaches it. Not teaches racism, but teaches children to like be aware of like a lot of how you're raised can play into your thoughts on things and that when you are a kid you are an you're an open book you are naive you see the world how you want to see it but as you get older as you spend time the people you spend your time with will shape how you see the world so do with that as you will but I think it's good that this is kind of for kids I agree I will say, though, I don't think it ends in the happiest of ways. Like, sure, they don't end up as friends, though. Like, they're friendly. So yeah. I don't know if it – I mean, for kids, it doesn't hit the nail on the head. But I think maybe for – if we're completely relating it to real life, it does make a lot more sense, a little more realistic. But yeah. Me watching it as a Disney movie wanted them to be friends. Oh, absolutely. Except we, you just knew it wasn't going to happen. There was just I no know. way. When we get to the very end, I'll kind of like talk about like, actually, I'm very satisfied with this ending as an adult, but we'll kind of talk about that more as we get there. So because a lot of my facts have to do with the differences of the story, which I'm just going to call out before I forget, John Solo on YouTube is where I got a lot of this. He did a really great deep dive on the Fox and the Hound, the book versus the movie and the changes and the implications of all of this. So a lot of the facts that I'm going to bring up as we're talking about the movie itself came from John Solo. So I'd like to thank him for doing all of the research. Check him out on YouTube. But I will let you do your deep dive and then we'll get into the, the movie and I'll just yes. bring up all of my stuff that I have as we go through it. Fantastic. Well, first of all, cheers to John. Uh, second of all, I, I don't know why I got so scientific because I'm not the scientific one of the two of us at all. But obviously, as you're watching this, Todd and Copper are very anthropomorphized and especially the baby ones are so cute. Uh, honestly, <laughs> so cute. I can't. Okay, well, I will get to that in a second. So this got me thinking about a study that I heard about on a podcast about dogs. Adam and I were like listening to it on a road trip and it mentioned this study done by Russian geneticists about how they domesticated foxes. And I'm like, oh, this is the perfect thing to bring up. Like they're trying to make foxes more like dogs. So that's why I got into this. Okay. So I'm going to give a little bit of background on this. Try not to get too sciencey because again, that's not what our podcast is about. 
So for the last 61 years, a team of Russian geneticists led by Ludmila Trut, hopefully I'm pronouncing her name correctly, um, have been running what is called one of the most important biology experiments of the 20th and now 21st century. This experiment was the brainchild of Trut's mentor, Dmitry Belyaev, who in 1959 began an experiment to study the process of domestication in real time. So like he was especially keen on understanding what, h- how wolves became dogs, like how did that happen? But rather than using wolves, uh, he decided to use silver foxes. Uh, so this study is called the domesticated silver fox. So every generation, he and his team would test literally hundreds of foxes and like the top 10% of the tamest foxes would then be bred and bred and bred and they like developed a scale for scoring tameness and how a fox scored on this scale was like the sole criteria for selecting foxes to parent the next generation and they would test over generations if the foxes were getting more tame or less tame and whether the traits in domestication like appeared just because of tameness so to skip to the end today the domesticated foxes they live in this experimental farm near the institute of cytology and genetics in siberia and they are inherently as calm as any lap dog and uh, ludmila trut wrote that after 40 years of the experience and breeding forty-five thousand foxes a group of animals had emerged that were as tame and as eager to please as a dog and what's more is like they look like dogs now like they don't look like foxes so they have like what she describes as more juvenile facial characters. So it's just like cuter and like they have shorter, rounder snouts and like floppy ears. And when I looked up domesticated silver fox, there were like a bunch of websites that I could go to to adopt a domesticated silver fox. Not gonna lie, like slightly tempted (laughs) after watching this movie because Todd is so freaking cute. So like, I don't know. I think that that's a really cool study that someone was just like, Hey, how did wolves become dogs? Let's find out. (laughs) I'm so happy that you looked into this study. So I, the scientific one of the two of us, not really. (laughs) Nerd alert over here. Between the two of us, yes. Um, So I know about this study. And actually in San Diego, there is a couple that has some of the foxes from Siberia that are the domesticated foxes. Uh, Some of the offspring of them. They brought some over to America. There's actually very few of them outside of their little preserve that they're at. Um, but there's there's this couple that has, I want to say, like four of them. Maybe not that many. Maybe Ooh. it's three. They have a handful of these domestica- domesticated foxes from this study. And again, they're in San Diego, very not too far from either one of us, but they, you can find them on YouTube and they talk about having foxes and they talk about the foxes from this study specifically and how they compare. What they will say is as domesticated as they are, that doesn't mean that they're necessarily well behaved, that they like people, they will be your companion, they want to be all around you. It won't stop the fox from going to the bathroom any and everywhere so they don't want the like so the foxes aren't quite there they're not at the exact same place they aren't able to be trained at the same level they will be a lap dog they will want your company at all times they're not quite there yet they're still working on that one they're still working on it you know this is a this has only been going on for 61 years whereas dogs have been around for millennia i would like Mm -hmm. to say 
Anyway, I appreciate that you knew about this study. (laughs) That I could add to this study. I only heard about it like a month ago when I was on a road trip and I was like, this is super interesting. And then you picked this movie and I was like, oh yeah. Anyway, I'm going to pour myself some wine before we, uh, we get into talking about this movie. And my first thought is Mickey Rooney and Kurt Russell. What? Right. Which also though, the credits of this movie... I would say might be the creepiest credit opening scene that I have ever seen. There's no music. Oh my no God. Music. Horrifying. It's so ominous and creepy and I don't like it. It's really, really eerie. In fact, I was sitting down to watch this movie. Ian, I thought was going to go do something else. And he like walks over. He's like, what are you watching? <laughs> it sounds scary. I'm like, it's the Fox and the Hound. It's kind of cool. It's very much will set you into the mood of this movie of like, oh, this forest that we're going to be in. But we oftentimes talk about our opening credits as the movies have the opening credits. So it's important to note that this one is really, really almost unsettling. Oh, I 100% would agree. Birds chirping, maybe a frog, but no, there's no sound. It's creepy. There is no music until you see Mama Fox. I believe, which, so as you mentioned, they use the same sets as Bambi and we're starting off with a very parallel scene to the beginning mm-hmm. of Bambi with a small animal whose mother is killed off scene and he is orphaned and it is tragic. And why are all Disney movies tragic? Want to hear something even tragicer? No. I don't think that's a word. In the book, it's a female hunter that kills his mom and all of his siblings and then oh. adopts him. Ah! <laughs> I told you, very, like, this is crazy. So it's the person who adopts him, not Widow Tweedy or whatever her name is that I can oh, never I remember. Problem. No, it's Widow Tweed. And why is that the only name she's given? She doesn't yeah, have I, a first name? The, the, no. the villain go- does. Yeah, so not not Willow, Willow, not Widow Tweed. Call her Willow. Let's call her Willow. I, not to I be like that. Her grandmother Willow, but no. her name is now Willow Tweed. It's canon. Thank you. So whoever, it's not not her, but in the book, it opens with a female hunter going after a fox and her babies and shooting all of them except for one who then she adopts as Todd. That's horrifying, and I hate Told it. you that this is a very brutal book. It is a tragic, brutal book. But yeah, so mm-hmm. we we see Orphan Todd, and we get Big Mama coming on down to see what's going on here. And man, oh man, Pearl Bailey in this movie, this is her last animated movie that she does, and she mm-hmm. passed away nine years later. So mm-hmm. this was really... I, I loved her in this movie. I think that she just has the most warm, motherly, just cozy. You were saying cozy a million times earlier. Oh, she, yeah. She, that's where I'm getting the cozy from is is Big Mama. For Big Mama sure. just comes in and is like, oh, we got this little baby. We got to figure out something to do. And she gets the help of Dinky and Boomer, which I do not remember the side story of the two of them at because all. It's entirely unnecessary. It's super unnecessary. We don't understand any of it. I think it's just that we wanted some more characters in this movie. And so we brought in these two birds who are obsessed with the caterpillar. But I will say their side story is kind of funny. Oh, it's funny. But did you know that the like National Stuttering Society like 
boycotted the movie coming out because of Boomer and his stammer. That is interesting that they were boycotting this movie, but I get it. So we see adorable baby Todd. And this is where I said, I want a fox pup. I want that pup. He's so fucking cute. My God. He's really cute. And I will say that this comes, this movie came out after Robin Hood. So they already had some practice oh. with foxes. Mm-hmm. They did, indeed. And you can definitely see older Todd. You compare him to Robin Hood. Absolutely. I think I saw a lot of comparisons. Like Big Mama, she looks exactly like the owl and the sword and the stone. Mm-hmm. There are also a lot of voice similarities we'll get to that in a second yep but here's my initial problem look like i've said baby todd is freaking adorable but my first instinct if i found a baby fox would not be to bring it into my home and adopt it i would definitely call animal control and i don't care how lonely i am at the moment especially in the pandemic i don't want a wild fox in my house (laughs) i don't know i think i would totally like i relate to widow tweed willow tweed whatever so much in this movie she is alone she has nothing she sees this little baby fox who she names todd which is short for toddler did you also see that todd t-o-d-d-e in middle english means fox i did it's such a good like that was perfect but i i totally if i saw a little fox I mean, we don't know what year this is. I would 100% wrap that little baby up, bring it into my house, then call animal control. But I would 100% bring that little, little baby, little baby into my house. All right. All right. I would bring it into my home, but my, but I would not keep it. I don't know how to care for a fox. If it was a dog or a cat, that would be different. Anyway, let's, we're we're getting off topic here with Mm -hmm. how much we love foxes. Mm -hmm. And then we are introduced to baby copper who is voiced by Corey Feldman. <laughs> I wrote that in all caps. The I will say the voice acting of the of the of the babies of Baby Todd and Baby Copper. These two voice actors are adorable. Oh my god, I just want to reach through my screen and give them a hug. And like this is where I'm like, look, I know that this movie's about to get real sad. Can we just end with adorable baby animals being friends with each other and i know that that's all over the internet the cutest voices i just that's where i want this to end is baby fox baby dog become friends and that's the end of the movie (laughs) fade to black we're done the end five minutes into the movie that's it i no i agree that again growing up with hound like this spoke to me so much of like that was my baby Chester. Like I had a dog, I had a hound named Chester and that's what Chester was to me. And I just loved this movie because of that so much that apparently I blocked out everything else, but Uh, I I wanted the same with Pinocchio. (laughs) Yeah. I think how much you blocked out about Pinocchio is how much I blocked out about this because again, this movie wrecked me (laughs) completely ruined me. So let's continue talking about it. Yeah. So, yeah, we see the man. At this point, we know him kind of as the master. We don't really know his name yet, which, again, think about Southern Roots, the master. There's some things going on here. But 
we see him bring little baby Copper home to meet his current dog, Chief. We get to hear Chief, and yes, there is some voice acting crossover here because Chief yes. is voiced by Pat But Butrim. Butram? Butram? But mm, Butram. I'm going to say Butram. Butram? I'm going to okay, go with Pat Butram. That sounds the least funny. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. We're going to go with Pat Butram, who this was his final Disney movie that he did after doing the Aristocats, Robin Hood, and the Rescuers. And might I say, this man is such a wonderful voice. Oh, immediately like recognizable. Who Who did you recognize him as? The most because I when I heard the voice I was like oh that's the sheriff of Nottingham that's the sheriff of Nottingham uh another one that I did is this person also this person question mark I said is Boomer voiced by Tigger Boomer is voiced by Tigger uh Paul Winchell and oh, that is that hits me right in the feels this whole movie hits me right in the feels man we're gonna see how far Rachel gets it's not gonna go far so he brings home little copper and at this point, cute little Todd has just made a huge mess of things. He's meeting all of the little barnyard animals and this little rascal makes a huge mess. So he goes out and kind of starts to roam. And then we have freaking Copper. Just all of a sudden, little hound just starts sniffing. He smells something. This is the face I made the entire time. It's literally just like me, like a pouty face. Like, oh my God, you're so cute. Rachel can see it right now. It's just like. <laughs> you're so you're so fucking cute if you want here i'm just gonna say this about this movie before we get too far into it if you want to just feel so good and you want to feel so happy start about two minutes into the movie after mm -hmm. todd's mom dies so yep. after he's adopted mm -hmm. and go probably about 20 minutes into the movie yes i would and say stop. end it after the sweetest friendship montage song sung by big mama where exactly. that is and end credits right there like mm -hmm. big mama sings the friendship song and the end just watch that and then turn, and it, then off. turn don't, it off don't keep watching do not continue further but we continued further <laughs> unfortunately we did for all of you listening we did this for you uh, yeah. So we have Copper now sniffing after the little playful Todd. And let me tell you, when he finds Todd and he does his little howl, he, oh, <laughs> I can't. I, I cannot. I can't. Okay, I need to move forward from this particular scene. Otherwise, we're going to be stuck here forever. All right. I'm going to skip ahead just because both Rachel and I are a puddle of tears. Please. We then see Amos Slade, Sir Dickhead, as I affectionately call him. The worst man ever. The worst. So he's, you know, trying to shoot Todd, a baby. He's a little baby. You see the cars. Todd jumps into Widow Tweed's car. And I'm like, what is this supposed to take place? Because that is not a 1980s car. That's not even a 1960s car. That's like a 19-teens car. Well, so what's interesting about this is so the book kind of touches on it. I don't know that the book specifically said the time period that it happens. However, I will say that at the end of the book, or towards the end of the book, and this isn't going to spoil anything, a lot of urbanization 
occurs where they are. So this farmland starts getting bought up and the the preserve and the forest and everything starts getting bought up and built upon. So you can kind of give yourself some time periods there of just when we were having some boom and really doing a lot of building. I would say the cars don't match, but it does give you a sense between the cars and the, the urbanization that occurs in the book. It definitely is probably around like, I would say the 50s, even though the cars are super old. Right. I think if you take the cars out of the equation, I would guess 50s. Totally. Yeah. Uh, The cars are throwing me for a loop. Uh, Other thing throwing me for a loop, Amos keeps calling her female as though it's an insult. And I hate it. Listen here, female. And I'm like, dude. I, I hate Amos. More than I think anything in this world while watching this movie. God, did I want him to die? I could (laughs) not stand him, how he treats animals, how he treats women, how he treats anything, how he treats nature, how he treats fucking anything in this world. Nothing made my blood boil more than this goddamn character. I will get down to my notes later that I wrote where I want him to die. But I don't know if I, I, I've hated a lot of characters. I think I hate him the most. Like fictional characters. I'm not talking about like real historical figures. That's a different story. But God, I hate him. And it's just, you know, then we're led into this very dark song. It's either it's education or elimination. Oh my gosh. Uh, wow. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. There's actually a lot to take away from this song. It is a good song to just like be aware of. Again, as like a kid, if you were to hear that song, I think that's actually a very educational song in and of itself of education or elimination. That really applies across the board here, people. Sure. It's dark. It's dark. It's so dark. And I think it's like here that I realize that I don't remember any of the songs from this movie. I didn't remember there was any music in this movie at all. Okay, so this is the first part that got to me. We are at point, you know, Copper is told he's not supposed to be with foxes. But Todd says to Copper, but we'll be friends forever, right? (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Nope. Mm -mm. All the nope. It's so heartbreaking. And you just like... Again, that's why this Disney Plus synopsis, I hate it. And literally, am I holding back tears? Yes, I absolutely am. Because a little fox and a hound pup become unlikely friends. And then you get Todd saying, but we're going to be friends forever, right? Oh, oh God. Why did you pick this movie? Because I just remember growing up being like, oh, I'm a hound pup. I only remember them as little babies. And I don't remember that they even grew up in this movie. Genuinely, I thought I was confused when I saw that I was Kurt Russell and Mickey Rooney doing the voices. I was like, I don't remember them having adult male voices as babies. I forgot they even grew up in this whole entire movie. So speaking of growing up, it's now winter in the movie. Uh, So we started in the fall and now it's winter. We get a nice flashback again to this darn caterpillar worm thing that has long outlived its life expectancy. (laughs) It has. I will say Squeaks the Caterpillar, which who is credited as Squeaks the Caterpillar, which I just love. 
again, this little side story of Squeaks, Dinky, and Boomer is hilarious, and I don't understand it at all. Yeah, we see grown-up Copper, and grown-up Copper is definitely not as cute as baby Copper, and I would like to return to baby animals, please. He's learning how to hunt, and you just, again, going back to the song that when Big Mama is singing it, and she, like, shows Todd, like, the pelts of all of the animals that Amos has at this point, I'm, I'm like, Oh no. Oh no, 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 no. I can't with this movie anymore. And then winter happens and you just see him going after and doing his little howl to get Amos to shoot some shit. And I'm like, fuck. No, I know. I know. It's very upsetting. I'm very glad that you brought up all of the pelts that are on mm-hmm. the truck. because It's fucking disturbing. And like, I have a lot of problems with hunting. Like mm-hmm. I'm not, but if you are hunting animals for meat and going to eat them, like, okay. But is he literally just hunting all of these animals to then hang in his shed? Like, that's not okay. Yeah, the uh, the amount that they have after their hunting trip is over bothered me so much. Because it's not just, again, I don't hunt. I don't, I don't do guns. I don't do any of that. You don't even eat red meat. <laughs> Yeah, I don't eat red meat. I don't with any of this. And so seeing that seems unbelievably brutal how many animals that represented. And it looks like they're all, they're like foxes. There's a badger. There's like- Raccoon. Raccoon. It's very upsetting. It's so upsetting. (sighs) This movie is upsetting. I can't record. I literally wanted to text you as I was watching this movie to let you know where I was emotionally. I'm like, no, no, I'll be fine. She doesn't need to know this. We're not even at the part where like I was I was tearing up at this part. I was not openly weeping yet. It's it's upsetting. And again, you know, Amos cements himself as the worst. So then we switch back. We see grown up Todd, who is still very cute. And to be honest with you. I never thought that I would like the fox more than I liked the dog. But that's where we're at at this moment. Oh, 100%. Because here's the thing. Todd has done nothing wrong. Nothing. He just, he just being friendly. And he, when like, because Amos, like back in the day, he accuses that he was trying to like the fox in the hen house. He was trying to get the hens. No, he wasn't. Chief scared him into there and he immediately ran out of there. So like, he's just being... He's curious. The thing is, Todd is just a very curious animal, which foxes are. They're just very interested in what's going on around them. So he's doing nothing, nothing wrong. Copper, on the other hand, doing his cute little howl to then get Amos to kill something. Great. Yeah. You know, before they left on their hunting trip for the winter, Amos said, if I ever see that fox on my property again, I'm going to kill him. So then sweet, innocent Todd goes over to say hello to Copper now that he's returned. And Chief wakes up and starts chasing him. And Amos starts chasing him. And it's extremely upsetting. And this whole, like, (sighs) we don't need to talk about it. At least there's a little dinky boomer side story that happens during this. And thank God, because it's really one of the funniest scenes in the entire movie, is freaking squeaks the caterpillar, gets taken back outside. He's like inch, like running away however a caterpillar runs whatever he's running away from them and he goes up onto like a power line and hides under a thing and like boomer just like is a woodpecker and goes and like gets electrocuted and is the funniest thing ever and then like 
Squeaks just like inches away from all of them. And thank God that happened because I needed a laugh. Oh, we all needed a laugh at this point in the movie. But so here's where the book gets dark. So I know what you're going to say. And I'm going to tell you my thoughts while watching the movie. Okay. You know, we see there's a whole thing back and forth between Todd and Copper. And then you see Chief is chasing after Todd. And then a train is barreling towards him. And then Chief somehow falls off, falls 50 feet to his, what I can only assume is his death. Because 50 feet. But of course, he only breaks his leg. Apparently, the animators had toyed with uh, him dying, and then they thought that was too dark. Well, I, I would like to t- you to to tell me and our listeners what what happens in the book, Rachel. So, as I had said at the very beginning of this podcast, the names of the dogs are switched. So I'm going to keep it consistent with the names in the movie. Okay. Thank However, you. they have different names. So essentially, Copper is on the train copper is the one on the train tracks with Todd and Todd stays on the train tracks until the very last second, knowing that the train is going to hit copper and copper dies. Copper, like the chief character. No, no. The younger dog dies. What? Mm-hmm. I thought it was the other way around. Uh-uh. Oh, that's upsetting. It's the younger dog that dies, which then really fuels Amos's hate throughout the rest of the book because it is his younger dog that dies. It's not his older dog. His older dog is okay. Who is actually the one named Copper? The the younger dog in the book, the fox outsmarts everything, waits till the last second because he sees the train and he does this to kill essentially Copper. Mm-hmm. Yup. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is a real dark podcast we're on right now. If you would like some more wine, I'm going to pour myself some. Yeah, I'm definitely going to do that. We're led into another upsetting scene where Widow Tweed hides Todd in her house. You see her longingly look at a photo of him on his first birthday, and then she puts him in his car, and she is Mm-mm. spoken wording a song. Rachel's crying right now. I don't know if it's because I have a pet and so I can imagine what she's going through. But this woman has nothing in her life. She is a widow. Her husband has died. She has no children. She lives alone. All she has is this fox that she has adopted that she is her toddler. This is her child. This is what she has to love and protect in this world. And she has the stupid goddamn picture of him on his birthday so you have this moment and then it's drawn out for so very long of her taking todd and we don't actually know where she takes him we do find out i'm just gonna say it right now because it makes me feel better to say yes she takes him to a game preserve where there's no hunting allowed we don't see that part no we hear it later but because my notes were where the fuck is she taking Todd? He is a domesticated fox and cannot live in the wild. So by her, basically, she's like leaving him to die and abandoning him in the woods because he has no outdoors skills. He can't catch, as seen later, he can't catch a fish. He doesn't have a home. He doesn't have anything. I'm trying so hard to not cry. 
now because I was a wreck at this point. It was so heartbreaking to me. And I just don't remember any of this from the from like watching it when I was a kid. It's like that storyline in Friends where Phoebe thinks that old Yeller is a happy movie. <laughs> I swear that's what happened with me as a kid. I did not know that this was th- I knew it was sad. That's why I said get your tissues ready. I knew it was a sad I didn't know movie. It was this sad. I didn't know that I was going to be sitting on my couch losing it. This movie was oh god, I can't. So let's move on because let's, I can't. Let's move on. And we find out he has been dropped off at a game preserve. Thank God. Thank God. Except Amos is a little shit and still wants to go after him. And, you know, you cut to the scene in Amos's house and he's like yelling at Chief. He's like, want me to break your other leg? I'm like, this man needs his comeuppance. I need him to have something terrible happen to him. Do you want to hate him even more? Get ready. In the book gets dropped off at the game preserve he's out in the wild he meets a girl not vixie he meets another fox lady has little babies with him um amos kills the his entire family he then meets another lady later on who is basically vixie has a family with her kills all of them what the fuck his sole mission is he hates todd He hates foxes. He hates Todd specifically. He makes it his sole mission to destroy this fox's life. Why? Why? Well, because in the book, he killed the the younger dog. I'm telling, it's just, it's a messed up book. This book, this is everything I hate. Yeah, this is not a movie that would, one, be made nowadays. Two, they would not make, like, read that book and go, "Hmm, that would make a good Disney movie. Exactly. That's why this is so baffling to me that somebody read this book and said, I'm going to pitch this to Disney, the one who just made, you know, Snow White with the adorable animals and everything. I can see those same animators making this. I can't understand how this was made. Yeah, I don't like it. All right. So we are now seeing Todd's life in the game preserve. He is wandering around looking for a home. We meet a horrifying badger who I will say is xenophobic. Yeah. You can say otherwise. Okay. Yeah. Nope. And then he gets to bunk with a cute little hedgehog, porcupine, porcupine, porcupine. Okay. I don't know. Uh, so he gets to bunk with a, a porcupine and he wakes up. You see big mama trying to find him. And big mama runs into a lady fox. One could say a vixen. Yes. It is indeed. So her name is Vixie. And boy, did I completely forget that there was a romantic element to this movie. I thought it was just about friendship. And Vixie's great. I think that the entire romantic plotline unnecessary to this movie. I can't with her. So she obviously sounds kind of like young, not like whatever, but she's not a kid. She's young though. Like probably in in people terms, she'd be like, yeah she's a teenager mama's like oh do you see that fox over there and vixie's like oh what can you tell me about him and she's like oh well he's really handsome and vixie says oh he sounds so nice um all you know about him is that he's handsome that does not mean that he's nice vixie you dumb girl you real dumb i mean in most disney movies the handsome guy ends up being the nice guy so like let's go with that 
But I would say that the entire romantic plot doesn't really add anything. No, and it's only in there because in the book he has not one, but two lady foxes that he has families with. Big Mama sets him up. I wrote Big Mama Matchmaker. Poor farm boy Fox, as we already talked about, he has no life skills. No, His life skills is being real cute. Like, he can't do anything beyond that. He can't catch fish for this fox. Guys, we have to introduce a little bit of humor because this is a sad fucking movie, Rachel. (laughs) I'm so sorry. On the other hand, though, I think I have redeemed myself. You have redeemed yourself on wine. I am very impressed. Like, I I mean, I already like a cab. Who doesn't like a cab? You can't not like one. This is quite good. It's very good. Very smooth. There's no, like, weird aftertaste. Sometimes you'll get that with a cab. Like, it's smooth. It's silky. Like, I love, I love it. I will definitely be buying this again. (laughs) I will get this again. And I will say that this I am like cradling it because this cab is getting me through my sadness oh yeah no that's what I'm saying is I was very hopeful for this wine because it needed to be good it needed to be good for this movie because one my last wine pick sucked and then my movie pick sucked well it didn't suck it was just depressing anyway I I'm glad that I redeemed myself here with the bread and butter cab I it may be my new bread and butter oh yeah I'm definitely gonna buy this again and like I said at the very beginning when I had my very first taste if you're ever going to like once we can have parties again or you're going to somebody's house once we can do (laughs) that again (laughs) I'm sorry now I'm sad again I got a drink anyway but this is This is a really good wine. Like I would 10 out of 10 suggest you bring this if you're like, oh God, I got to bring something to somebody. Mm-hmm. Get Grab yourself this bread and butter cab and bring this. If you are a BevMo club member, it's only like $11, $12. And even if you're not, it's only $15. Like we love a good deal on the podcast. <laughs> I love a good deal in life. Okay, man. that too. But yeah, I'm very happy with this wine selection. Go team. Go you. Oh, thank you. No team. It's you. I have a depressing movie. Everything we do is a team effort, though. So if one of us wins, we both win. Aw. I know. I'm so nice. All right. Speaking of nice, let's go to the depressing shit. Yep. And then we see an angry ass Amos coming to the fucking game preserve with a ton of guns and traps. And it's like, I would very much like Amos to at least get arrested for breaking the law and hunting on a preserve. Does he die? I would not be mad. Nobody other than Adina can see my face right now. However, my like jaw is so tight and like I feel myself getting tensed up. No, I'm feeling the same way. He's not as hated as he should be. This man should be far more hated because as somebody who loves animals, loves nature, does as like... That's all I want in life. I just want nature to be healthy. That's all I want. More than my own health. I want nature to be healthy. And then I see this motherfucker cutting to break into a game preserve to kill a goddamn fox. Mind your own business, dude. I am sorry. I am so angry right now. No, 100%. It's not okay. It's so bad. I am so angry with this character and more people need to know how atrocious he is. We'll get to this, but he does not 
nothing happens to him. He breaks his leg or doesn't even break his leg. He gets his leg caught in a trap. It, think back to other Disney villains that you hate. They die. He doesn't die. And he, and he is one of the worst of the worst. I agree. 100%. And to think, again, this is the last movie of the classic Disney animators. And it's like, really, guys? You didn't have enough. You didn't have any say here to be like, oh, this guy sucks. Let's kill him in like a really <laughs> gruesome manner. Let's get him eaten by a bear. Like I wrote in all caps, the bear needs to eat Amos. So Amos breaks in. He has copper at his side. They break into the game preserve and they start setting traps and they have a lot of these traps and they set them. And I will say slightly funny little, little Todd and little Vixie come out of their little, little, little bedroom. Uh-huh. Um, all, all happy about the night before. Oh, how cute. Rachel's looking at my eyebrows go up and down. <laughs> hey. But so they come out and they want to just, you know, go on a little stroll. So romantic. And Vixie's like, I don't want to go here. Something seems off about this. And let me tell you, girl, women everywhere know if you feel like something's bad, don't do it. Your gut's going to tell you the truth. And Vixie's right. Trust your instincts, ladies. If it feels creepy, it's creepy. Everybody, if it feels creepy, it is creepy. But ladies especially, you will know if something is bad. Don't go into a bad situation like fucking asshole Copper does. Todd does. I drank too much. Don't get yourself into something bad. Oh, Lord. So he's setting all the traps. Todd miraculously avoids every single trap because I don't think I could handle seeing Todd's leg getting stuck in a trap. Thank God that doesn't happen. And we have epic chase scene and the fucking fire that that Amos sets. Not only does he break into a game preserve, he sets fire to it are you serious smoky the bear is angry as fuck and tries to eat amos well i will say this scene right here is where the first computer graphics come into play in a disney movie it is it is the fire scene and the fire being set in the cave so as bad as this scene is um we got something really cool out of it and again that's the animators using computers for the first time, which will then like pave the way for the future of Disney animation. So I just, the only good that's happening right now is what will come from Disney animation. No, look, I think it's great that a bear is trying to eat the evil villain. I'm sad he did not succeed, but you know, this is one of the few Disney movies that we actually see blood. So between the oh. um Amos that <laughs> Adina just saw me like holding up a finger gun and I couldn't remember his name. I wasn't even gonna try to help you because I thought you were gonna talk about something else, but nope. Between Amos shooting the bear and Todd biting the bear, we see yeah. two instances of blood, and that is one of the very few instances in any Disney movie across the board old and new that we actually see blood there's a couple other instances but you could probably count it on one if not maybe two hands really i'm i can't even think of other instances 
So what, what happens is, Rachel, go. The bear comes. This They escape the fire, thank God. And all of a sudden, they're chasing after these two foxes. And as Adina so helpfully mentioned, Smokey the bear is mad at these at, at Amos and at Copper. So as Amos is trying to get away from the bear, he steps in the his own trap that he had set for the foxes, which if that's not karma. It's not enough karma. Oh, no, it's not at all enough karma. But man, did that really kind of do some damage to him and make him not be able to defend himself. So it, it was, was kind of good. It was helpful okay. for me to see. But so then Copper, protecting his master, Amos, tries to fight the bear. Bear is much stronger. It look. Let me just say, it's depicted as like a black bear, but the actions of this bear are 100% grizzly. So if you're curious, oh, that's yeah. a grizzly bear right there. It's- that is a grizzly bear that has seen a lot of smoke, maybe, because, and his coat has turned black. So he's smoking the bear. So, you know, Copper is going after this bear, and he is knocked aside. Bear tries to go for Copper. Todd then goes and bites the bear to protect his friend. Because despite everything, Todd has a heart of gold. And... Then, again, so Bear runs away, and Todd is, of course, really exhausted from fighting a fucking bear, and is collapsed in the water, and Amos with, is hobbling over with his gun, getting ready to shoot Todd, and Copper stands in front of him. And Amos says, move, and Copper does not move. Thus ends Amos's chase for Todd. But Rachel, this is not the end of the movie. I'm so mad. No, it's not. No. So, look, I'm very glad that Todd and Copper become friendly again. But to me, this movie will not be satisfying until Amos gets what's very clearly coming to him. So I actually, I appreciate how this movie ends in the sense that Todd doesn't go back. Todd stays with his people. He stays in the game preserve. He stays. We see Bixie with him. What I am furious about is that we see Willow Tweed taking care of Amos. Oh my God. Pissed me the fuck off. That was honestly the most aggravating part of all of this. Isn't the fact that he survived. Fine. You know what? Let him survive it with a broken leg and he has to deal with that for the rest of his life. Yes. But the fact that she's helping him after he took away the one thing that really like mattered to her. It's very out of character. It's so unsatisfying. It's, I, when I saw that, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Well, okay. So here's how the movie, here's how the book ends. So basically Todd has been escaping the master and what is known as chief, the older dog for so long that he eventually collapses and dies from exhaustion. So he dies Ah! from exhaustion. And then Chief collapses on top of him from exhaustion as well. But he doesn't die. So Amos takes Chief back to his house. But as something happened earlier in the book, like Amos is miserable. He's drinking a lot. He's a drunk in the book. And eventually he decides, they try to do this earlier. He says no. He decides that he has to go to a resting home, a nursing home. However, there's no dogs allowed, which is why he didn't go earlier. So after nursing Chief back to health, he takes Chief outside. No. Pats him on the head. No. 
covers his eyes. No. And while Chief is licking his hands. No, 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 no. End of podcast. Yup. I hate everything about the movie. I hate everything about the book. I hate everything now. Please end us on a lighter note, Adina. On a lighter note, the subplot does redeem itself. And that we yes. so we see Dinky and Boomer chasing a tree. And I wrote down, I'm sorry, but this damn worm cannot be alive. And then I go, ah, it's a butterfly. I'm glad that came full circle. Butterfly now. And it's so cute. And he's so happy. And he's so free. And it's adorable. And I do love it. That looks familiar. And then Big Mom is like, aw. <laughs> that is the ending that we truly needed in this. Like, I honestly think they put in this story of Dinky and Boomer and the worm. Sorry, Caterpillar. Because... Without that, there is no relief in this movie. No. It goes from really great to just depressing, 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 depressing. I'm I'm yeah. crying. And it's this, it, it was at the ending that I was like, oh, thank God this is here. Because you're right. We needed some, some relief. And yep. thank goodness that movie ended because I, I couldn't anymore. I couldn't anymore. I wanted it to end after 20 minutes. <laughs> I'm sorry. Please don't apologize because truly, I picked this movie. I picked it. I want to go back. I was like, hey, this is a movie I remember watching a lot as a kid. I really don't remember any part of it. This will be fun. Truly apologize to our listeners who watched along with us, to <laughs> you, Adina, to myself, to Ian, who decided to sit and watch this movie with me. Everybody involved, we're all part of something now. And I would just like to sincerely apologize for putting us through all of this in 2020. And if you have listened to this podcast and for some reason still decide to go and watch this movie, please pick yourself up a bottle of bread and butter Cabernet Sauvignon. Please do. You do not want to be sober watching this movie. You do not. But I will say that one of the facts about this movie has inspired my next movie pick. We will be watching The Nightmare Before Christmas. Stop, stop, stop. Oh, good. It's such a holiday time classic. Mm-hmm. I'll get into more about why I love this movie so much. But because Tim Burton kind of got his start in The Fox and the Hound, it just seemed like a natural progression. I love that you just picked that because we started this podcast with a Halloween movie. And I think it's really good that we are going to kind of round out this year with round out 2020 with a movie that is really a Halloween and Christmas movie. So I love that this is your pick for next week. Yes. I it just it seemed right. It will be our eighth episode, which is oh my god, this is so cool. So I'm gonna end this one off by thanking you all for joining us on this sad and curse filled journey today. <laughs> I'm so sorry. If you if you cried, please know you're not alone. You are not alone. I cried many times since watching this movie and throughout recording this podcast. So please know that you're not alone in your sadness. And 2020 has been a really difficult year. And I'm really sorry that I put you all through this during such a difficult year. I'm so sorry. You know, it's okay. I forgive you. I hope our listeners forgive you. They should because it's 2020 is too ridiculous of a year to hold on to grudges. So on that note, Rachel, thanks for joining me along on this crazy journey this week. And cheers. Cheers, Adina. Bye, everybody. Bye.
Thank you so much for listening. You can find us online at DisneyRewind.com. That is D-I-S-N-E-Y-R-E-W-I-N-E-D.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at Disney Rewind. You can also listen to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And finally, you can send us an email at DisneyRewind at gmail.com. Again, that's DisneyRewind, D-I-S-N-E-Y-R-E-W-I-N-E-D at gmail.com. Cheers. Cheers.